I'm JR Butler, co-founder and CEO of The Shift Group, and you're listening to Merchants of Change. This is a podcast about transferring the skills and behaviors we acquire as athletes and military veterans into becoming a professional salesperson. Each week, we'll introduce you to a top performer who will help us understand how they became professional merchants of change. What's up, kid? How we doing today? We've got Tyler Warden on the show. Tyler, thanks for being on the show. Hey, thank you. thanks for having me, Jer. I'm excited. So for quick context, any new listeners, um, Merchants of Chains is a show really built for new sellers and, and people that are considering a career shift into sales. And, and, you know, it aligns with our mission as a company. We try to help elite athletes and military veterans become elite sales professional. And, and all our guests are former athletes or, or veterans who have found their own success in sales. So um, Tyler, the way we like to start is, is really with sports. Then we get into the transition and then, you know, we, we try to end with some, some really good sales nuggets for our audience. So, um, intentionally broad question to start, but I, I'd love to know, like, what, what are some of your favorite memories of playing sports at, at Robert Morris? Yeah. So I think my mind immediately goes to all the off the field things. I think, you know, if you were to, uh, ask a lot of people, they probably say the same thing, but anyone who didn't play sports, you'd think, oh, it's the big wins. It's the, you know, the, the tough losses or whatever it may be. But for me, and I think for a lot of guys playing sports, it's, it's the, you know, the bus rides to and from the, uh, the games or, you know, we were a city school. So that was a lot of train rides to and from and seeing all the, the craziness that went on on the Chicago public, uh, public trains or the locker room. I mean, I don't think I've laughed harder before or since during those, you know, roast sessions where people just getting absolutely obliterated, whether it's, you know, again, training room, after practice, hanging out, whatever it may be. So my mind goes to all the off the field stuff. That's what I miss the most. And those are the things that those are the stories we tell whenever we get back together. It's not, again, it's not the practices. It's not the the big wins or the, the tough losses. It's, it's the, you know, remember when so-and-so did this or they said that or, or, hey, remember at that party, this happened, whatever it may be, it's always off the field stuff. So that's where I naturally go. And that's what I miss the most. I, I couldn't agree more, man. It's the, it's the locker room, right? Like at the end of the day, like that's, that's the beauty of it. Um, right. and, and it's your teammates and the relationships you build. And, and when you look back at like some of your favorite teammates of all time, do, what are like some of the traits, characteristics that come to mind? And, and if you want to shout anyone out, feel free to. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's a couple, right? And I, and I think they're they're valuable in in a couple different scenarios. But I think back to you know summer camp this time of the year, being out full pads, two three day practices. It's ninety degrees. We're out on the turf, which is you know if you've ever been out there when it's when it's warm and it's not very forgiving. Um, and there's nothing really fun about those times. I don't care who you are. If you say, oh man, I love summer camp. There's so much fun. You're a liar. And I you know we will probably never be friends or see eye to eye on that. Um, but I think the people or the teammates who were able to kind of bring levity to, to those times and make you laugh, whether it's doing something, whether it's intentional or unintentional, because you have those guys who are intentionally hilarious and they'll say something knowing it's going to make you laugh. And then you have the other guys who just the way that they are, if you just look at them, you're like, <laughs> oh my God, this is hilarious, right? And so I think I think humor and finding, you know, bringing that levity to those tough situations is one of the characteristics that 
you know, stand out for me as being the most important. And then second, on the little bit more, you know, serious side of things, I think it's someone who's reliable. Uh, I think it's someone who, when you line up next to that guy, you know that he watched the film. You know that, hey, if they make this shift, he knows exactly what to do. And then therefore, it frees me up to do my job even better. And so I think all the best teammates on the field, having that, that, that reliability is something that always stood out to me. So humor, reliability. Now, I, I don't, I'm going to get in trouble if I shout out too many guys, but I do have a few that they can make the, the decision whether or not they're on the, the humorous side or the reliable side. <laughs> um, but, uh, but just a, a few, I mean, um, Sean Zingsheim, Alex Spanos, um, Jason Olson, Lamont Wims, Deshaun Weaver, just to name a few. And I know there's going to be some guys probably pissed off, but there's just so many that I can name that, again, even as I'm thinking of their names, I'm thinking of them in scenarios outside of the football field or, or the or the back, basketball court. So um, just, you know, the importance of the off the field stuff, again, is is coming up. That's amazing. And, and, and I, you know, the, the fact that you're, you know, multi-sport athlete is, it, it, it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter if you're a hockey player, a football player, a basketball player, like those things you're talking about are relevant across the, across every single sport. Um, right. And as you know, they translate in business as well. Absolutely. Um, how do you think, how do you think your, your teammates would describe you from your playing days? Man, um, I would, I would like to say reliable as well, right? Uh, I, I think I was someone, I was never the fastest. I was never the strongest. And so I had to, you know, know what the, the opponent was doing. I had to know and, and watch film and, and study and do all those things to have the advantage and to keep myself performing at a top level. Because again, never the most athletic. You'll ask anyone, I was definitely never the fastest. Um, but what I lacked in, in those, you know, God-given abilities, I think I made up for in work ethic and technique. And I think if, if, you know, people who weren't blessed with, you know, being massive and strong and fast and all those things, you have to be good at those. And so I think in order to be good at those, you have to be reliable. You got to be someone who is, you know, in the, in the weight room consistently doing what you can in the film room, watching the film, understanding tendencies, watching your own film, improving upon your own game um, and being someone I would love to be someone that, you know, if you line up next to me, you know that I put in the work that I know what I'm doing, that you can that'll free you up to, to uh, uh, you know, play, play the best that you can. So I, I would like to think that I was a little bit of both. I could be humorous and I would like to say it was intentional and it wasn't unintentional. Um, but <laughs> I, think, I think I could bring a little humor here and there. And, uh, uh, but ultimately I would love to be known as someone who was reliable, dependable, and you knew that it was going to get the job done. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I like, this is a hard question. If someone asked me, I don't even know what I would say, but I'm, I'm like, what do you, when you look back at your sports career, is there like an accomplishment that stands out that that makes you really proud? Like, what are you most proud of from from your sports career? So that's actually, Jarrah, that's a really easy one for me. And I think I'm in a very unique uh, situation and that not a lot of people could probably say this. But when I went to Robert Morris, that was the first year they ever had a football program. So that was year one of them starting a football program. Right. So I think for us, I mean, and we brought in some junior college transfers who had college experience, who were juniors, seniors, who kind of brought that seniority to the group. But for 90% of the team that we had started with, I think it was 2011, 2012, they were all freshmen. They were all 18, 19-year-old kids. And when you're 18, 19 years old, you look at a 22, 23-year-old, you're like, that is a grown man. Like, what it's am I adult. doing? Right? <laughs> and so, and so you're, you're getting out there as a kid just coming from high school, and we got to scrap together this you know, offense and defense comprised of kids. 
And we held our own. I think we went 500 or maybe a game below or something like that. But I think for us to be able to go out there with no idea, no one to really look at for, hey, how do you operate? How do you hold yourself? How do you travel? What do you do when you go to the away hotel? Like, what is the best way to prepare? I think for us to kind of come together and rely on each other to learn those things through trial and error, because definitely a lot of uh, a lot of error. And we got, you know, we got it handed to us a few times. Um, but I, I think that's probably what I'm most proud of during my time there is that we were able to lay the foundation and they're still building on. I mean, they're, they're winning conference championships. They're going to the playoffs. They're doing huge things. And I don't think they probably don't even know that, you know, eight, however, 10 years ago, they didn't even have a program, right? They just think, oh, this is the way it is. This is, you know, Robert Morris. It's now Roosevelt, but this is how it's always been. When in reality, we were there when there was nothing. The, the, you know, the, the facility had never been used. The turf had never been played on. The uniforms had never been worn. The pads had never been hit, you know? And so kind of laying that, that blueprint for how to do things, I think is, is easily my, my biggest accomplishment there. That's so good. That's maybe my favorite answer we've ever gotten. And it is a unique situation, but, but building that foundation is, it's, that's a special accomplishment without right. a doubt. Um, so you're, you're, you know, you're at Robert Morris, you're coming to the end of your sports career. And I'm sure that, you know, you're just dreaming about your career as an insurance salesman. <laughs> you nailed it, man. I mean, a lot of people had, uh, you know, Michael Joke, Jordan posters or Tom Brady. I had, you know, Flo over in one corner. I had Jake from State Farm in the other. And it really fired me up every morning to go out and be the best I could be. So, uh, oh, dude, it's it's actually one of my pet peeves. They these they put these these people in front of uh, college students and, and, and these people tell these kids to follow their passion. It's like, yeah. no dude, you work for your passion. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So, so tell me like, how did you end up in sales? Were there other career paths that you explored? So I definitely stumbled into it. I mean, I, you know, the, the reason that I think you've, you've had so much success is that there's a natural overlap between sales and, and sports, right? They get to scratch that competitive itch. They need, they get to, compete against other people. And, and it's something that there's not a lot of fields where you're, you're able to do that. But for me, uh, and I always knew that sales was going to be what I wanted to get into. So I really didn't explore too many other industries. And, and uh, specifically, I mean, the way that I stumbled into it is I was actually going to school and I was working part-time throughout, throughout the last kind of summer while I was in school. And I got introduced to a gentleman who owned an independent insurance agency out in the suburbs, and he just needed some extra help. I was looking to make some extra cash. And so it was kind of a match made in heaven. So I was going out there a few days a week, kind of helping them out, answering phones, doing whatever I could. And even then, that introduction to the insurance world or sales world, uh, that's all I knew at the time was just, I knew that that was not what I wanted to do, right? It was very, um, you know, traditional agency experience, right? You're working in a very small office. It was just me and him. Wasn't the most motivating or exciting thing in the world. And I was very lucky that at that time, the owner of the book of business got introduced to our now co-founders, Sean uh, Harper and Lucas Ward. And they approached him and said, Hey, we know nothing about insurance. You know a lot about insurance. Can we partner up and maybe think about how we can, we can take our tech background and kind of mold it with your insurance background and see if we can't you know, disrupt this industry a little bit. And so even at that time, when they came, they bought the book of business from, from the owner. I would just happen to be there. I was just kind of an innocent bystander just doing my thing. And they kind of asked, like, hey, do you want to come on? We don't really know what you'll do, uh, but we think you'd be valuable if you want to stay on. And at first I was like, I have no desire to do this because this was my first 
introduction to insurance. I'm like, this is horrible. This is not what I want to do. This is boring, right? And so they sold it to me, sold it to me, sold me on the vi- on the on the vision and what it could be. And it's not your typical insurance. It's not you know that that path that you're used to. It's not the flow. It's not the Jake from State Farm. It's it's going to be different. And that's what we want to do. So they eventually sold me on it, and I found myself okay. Here I am. I'm a, I'm a you know insurance guy, and that's that's kind of the path a lot of people who find themselves in insurance follow. Not that probably out there, but. Um, you know, I've been been with them ever since. So that's kind of how I stumbled into the opportunity and introduction into the sales industry. Yeah, and, and you guys definitely obviously are are disrupting that insurance space. But like prior to that disruption and this new approach, like what are some things you remember about those early days of your insurance career? And and when you look back at those times, are there things that you're like, man, I, I wouldn't do that now. Now now that I know what I know, looking back, I, I wouldn't have done that. Like, yeah. talk a little bit about those early days. I remember just being uncomfortable all the time. Um, uncomfortable getting on the phone, having a tough conversation with the customer. Because I was, you know, I was selling, I was servicing, I was doing the training, I was helping with that. I was kind of doing anything that needed to be done during that time. And so every single day I was faced with something that I didn't know how to do and that I was really uncomfortable doing or figuring out, right? And so... Um, that, that's probably the biggest, it's like that, that gut, that those butterflies in your stomach that you get when you're really nervous and you're like, oh man, I don't know how to do this. I don't know what I'm going to say, but I have to do it. I don't have a choice because there's nobody else here who's going to do it. So that's kind of what I remember most is just being faced with things that I had no, I'd never been faced with before. And I think to your second question about what would I change? I think as the years have gone on and as I've matured personally and, and professionally, I've started to look at those, that uncomfortable feeling or those obstacles or challenges or whatever they are as opportunities more than anything, right? And so now we're, we're at a place where we're, we're pretty solid. We've done a lot of the things we, we wanted to do and we still have a long way to go. But for the most part, it's not that daily uncomfortable feeling that I get. And I find myself missing that. And so, you know, what, what would I change is, is I would look at those and if I could, you know, grab my 23, 24 year old self and say, hey, every time you're faced with one of those really uncomfortable situations, look at it as an opportunity. Because at the end of the day, if you're constantly being faced with those uncomfortable situations and coming out the other side, being like, oh, OK, that wasn't that bad. If you can stack those up every single day. And that's exactly what I did unknowingly. That allowed me to get to the place where I'm at today. I think if I could have seen those as opportunities as opposed to like, oh, I really don't want to do this and really, you know, we're, we're seek, was seeking those out instead of kind of avoiding them a lot of the times. I think it could accelerated my growth that much more. Uh, so if I could, you know, go back and tell myself, I would say, hey, they're not challenges. They're not the, the worst thing in the world. They're huge opportunities for you to get better. It's like it's like lifting weights, right? You're going to lift it up. You're going to get crushed the first time, right? If you just walk away, be like, oh, I'm never doing that again. Well, you know, you're never going to get stronger, you know? And so it's kind of just that going back to, uh, tying it all together with you know the sports career and everything like that, but I think identifying that uncomfortable feeling in your stomach, that pit in your stomach, as like, hey, this is good. This is what I should be doing. I think if I would have developed that earlier, it again really accelerated my my growth. That that is probably honestly the the best way I've seen that that first like year year and a half described. Cause it is so uncomfortable and it is like drinking from a fire hose yeah, yeah. and like 
you know, we tell our candidates like, hey, if you read about a company and there's a word you don't understand, open up another tab and learn that word. Oh, man. And obviously different time back then when I started. But like if I had approached it that way, I would have had a million tabs open, but I would have been learning so much stuff. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. because I would have understood exactly what's happening is like, dude, you're learning these skills that and I'm sure you're the same way. Like I learned stuff in that first year that I used every single day absolutely in my and even as a ceo you know what i mean absolutely and it, and it really you know working alongside being in such a small company i was working alongside our cto our ceo every day there's five of us right so we were forced to collaborate and me being you know 23 years old i didn't know anything school is never my number one priority i will you know hand up that is 100 percent me um and so these guys i mean are just crazy intelligent so much experience so much knowledge and there I am, like trying to add value somehow. And a lot of times I was scared. Do I ask the question? Do I know that acronym? Like, what does that stand for? I have no idea. Right. And so, you know, being okay with asking questions because everyone's been in that situation, right? You had just mentioned it. You were, you know, the first year it's drinking from a firehouse. Everyone's been there. And so when you say, hey, there's no dumb questions, it's fine. Really, there aren't. And if someone, yeah. you know, shames you for asking a question, they have their own problems and, and they're not going to go very far. So I think. You know, again, that old adage of like, there is no such thing as a dumb question. There really isn't because everyone's asked them before, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So good. Um, I, I'm, I'm saying this out loud. So Austin sees this, cut that, cut that, put that in the training right there. Um, uh, so as you know, like our model, uh, initially we started in tech sales cause that's where I grew up, but we're rapidly expanding into other industries and insurance in my brain has like a giant bullseye on it. We happened to get our first insurance placement uh, at a company up in Boston, but it was kind of an accident. Um, but we're, we're having more and more, we're getting more and more athletes and veterans into the program and more and more people are saying like, hey, what about insurance? So I'm curious to know, like if a listener is considering insurance sales, what, what do you think a couple things are that they should know before they, before they make that choice? Yeah, so I think it's deciding kind of what route you want to take in terms of insurance, right? Because you think of insurance, again, I think of, and I've mentioned it a million times, probably giving State Farm and Progressive way too many plugs, but you think of that normal, that legacy um, career path, right? And you're going to go, you work for the agency, you work long enough, you inherit your own book of business, you build that up, you get people to work for you, you retire, it's great, which is awesome. It's been around for a hundred years. That will be around for another hundred years, right? That's not going anywhere. And so that's one route that you could take, absolutely. The other route, which is a little less common, which is the route that I think that I like to think that our company at Kin has kind of paved and really sustained all the ups and downs of InsureTech, right? Is a disruptor. Do you want to be a part of a company that is kind of revolutionizing or disrupting that archaic way of, of you know, an insurance company? And, and that's the route that I took. So that's what the two routes that I, that I think. And the main differences are I think it's very secure. It's very, you know, you know exactly what steps you need to take to get to where you want to go on the more legacy side. And I think on the the more tech side, the insure tech industry that you don't really know. And a lot of people are, are excited by that. We're like, I don't know where I'm going to be. I'm going to come in as a sales agent, but who knows? I might go and be in product. I might, you know, find underwriting really interesting. And I think that's the benefit and that's the value of going and working for a startup or an, an insure tech disruptor is that they can branch off in so many different directions. Therefore, your opportunity for growth or movement or exposure to different ideas, different people, different ways of thinking is so much greater. 
Uh, and obviously, you could tell by my the inflections of my voice, I'm very biased in that, you know, the insure tech route is the route I've, I've taken. And I think I've been very, very fortunate uh, to be exposed to different people, different ways of thinking. And, um, you know, therefore, the sales process is a lot of different. It is a lot different. So, uh, I, but I think those are the kind of the, the two routes that will uh, probably show themselves. And then you could get into the, you know, what product are you selling? Are you health? Are you property and casualty? Are you, you know, commercial? And so we could go down that road forever. But I think at a high level, that's uh, that's probably the the two forks in the road. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and like, um, you know, certainly, like you said, it's, it's not, it's an industry that's not going away, right? right. Like, it's, right. it's going to be around here. And there are, like like any industry, like you're gonna see these these disruptors. Yep. If 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 you had a kid, right, um, who decided to go the agency route and they got offers from two different types of agencies to work at, how like how do you evaluate on that type of business? Like where, you know, it's a, a, a specifically a agency side, like what are how do they differentiate against each other? How would you evaluate two different agency officers? So, so for me, and, and one thing that I've been fortunate to experience is, is I've never really wanted to be another cog in the wheel. And there are yeah. absolutely companies that are so big that you could have the most revolutionary piece of feedback and you want to you run that up the chain because you want to change the way that this is done. That's going to take months and months and months to reach that chain. Even when it's heard, it's like, hey, we're doing fine. We're, we're good where we're at, right? There's other big carriers who we've worked with who... That's not the case, right? And you, you, you raise your hand and say, "Hey, I have this idea. It'll run up that chain, and it'll it'll get done. And you'll see the the results of that feedback, right? Or at least you'll have a, a conversation, a discovery process where they'll learn more about what you're talking about." And so, I think you know, for for a young professional coming into the workforce for the first time, you're coming in with those fresh eyes. And I know we rely a lot, a lot on our frontline salespeople to let us know, "Hey, if you see something." say something, right? If you see an opportunity, don't think that, hey, I've just been here for a couple months. I don't know what I'm talking about. Please send that up the chain. So so there's two, there's a company that'll listen to it, that'll take it for real and and make improvements based on that. And there's other companies who are like, hey, you know, our numbers are good. We've been here for a hundred years. We're gonna keep doing it the same way. There's no reason not to. You know, so so I think I would I would go into it and you know talk to the employees. Have you ever had an idea? Okay, what would you do with that? I, ah, I didn't do much with it. That's not a culture I want to be a part of, right? I want to be a part so of good. where people are are bought in that that really want to see change and, and are vested in the in the long term future of the company, not someone who's just you know clicking away and checking out at five o'clock not to think about it again. So I think those are the, the two things that I would consider when when getting into uh, or picking a company to go work with. The, I mean, those are both so good. I love that. That's so good. Um, what like so kind of. Going back on this on the sales side, like in in insurance, what are some of the hallmarks that that like the best salespeople that you've worked with in, in that industry? Like, what do they what do they have in common typically? So, Jr., I'm going to talk about it just from from my vantage point yes. at Kin. Um, yeah, of course. And just like insure tech in general, uh, I think the, the the hallmark of a of a successful agent or the agents that I've worked with here at, at, at my company in various stages is their ability to deal with change. There is so much change happening within the industry. With, you know, it's such a heavily regulated industry. And depending on the state that you're in, we, we operate heavily in Florida. There's so much change every single day, every month, every quarter, whatever it is. And so that's external change. There's also a ton of internal change that we're forcing as well, right? Whether it's 
hey, we got to update the comp plan, you know, for the second time in two years. We have to, uh, you know, we're, we're adjusting our underwriting guidelines. We're all no longer accepting that business. We need to ask for this. Our script is going to change this way. We're constantly trying to optimize and make our, our sales agents that much more efficient. And so there are sales reps who are always pushing back. Nope, I don't want to do this. I've done this that way for six months now. I'm, I'm not changing. I've seen success. I don't want to do it. Well, you have to, right? And, and it's just going to be that constant push and pull where there's other reps who are like, hey, awesome. I see the big picture. I see why this needs to get done. And I see you know, how it's going to impact the entire sales force and make me more efficient, right? Because what we find ourselves having to constantly remind people is that, hey, we're not making these changes to make your job any more difficult. We're making these changes to make you more efficient, to make you sell more, right? And so yeah. we have no interest in slowing you down. We have no interest in you know decreasing your paycheck. It's the exact opposite, right? And so it might feel difficult. You might be uncomfortable for a little bit, but if you can push through it, you will come out the other side a more effective, a more you know optimized sales agent. So I think the the willingness to accept change is probably the hallmark of an agent at Kin. Uh, that that leads to the most success. That's cool, and that and that, by the way, proves the the statement that you guys are disruptive, right? Because I I don't think anybody getting into insurance would think I need to be adaptable to change. Absolutely, right, right, yeah. right. and that's that's something from the interview that we we will. The only thing I can guarantee is things will change. Here's how they are today. Here's how they'll be for the next month. I will not guarantee anything out from that. And if and if you're excited by that. Please come aboard. We got plenty of it for you. If that's yep. kind of uh, you're a little nervy about it, or you've worked in an industry or for a company that hasn't changed in a hundred years, you're going to have a tough time adapting. There, are people have done it, and we still want people with that legacy experience. But it's 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 different. It's it's much different. That that's a good uh, transition point. I, I want to talk a little bit. You started as an IC. You know, now you're running sales teams. Um, tell talk to us a little bit. Like, how do you think about building? effective sales teams in your in your organization yeah so i can tell you when i when i first started um i really took it upon myself to be the subject matter expert in everything right i wanted to know you know everything about the training the product the the, the scripting the, the 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 coverages whatever it is i wanted to be the guy that everyone went to right i was really i i would pride myself on knowing everything or try to right and so as a result, and being such a small company, I would have a line of 10 people at my desk every single day, all day, asking me questions, right? And so for a long time, I was like, hell yeah, like I'm, you know, this is my worth. This is what I'm doing. I'm, I'm driving the company forward. I'm helping out however I can. Whatever you need, come, come ask me. So, and this was, my, this was my sales team at the time. And so they're coming to me asking questions and I'm firing them off, just fired up. Hell yeah, I know the answer to that. I know the answer to that. Wait, what else you got? You know, people are taking tickets. And, and so after a while though, it started kind of wearing me down. I'm like, man, like this kind of sucks. Like answering all these questions all day. And, and I found that if I would ever step out or, or take time off or, you know, be in an interview or whatever it may be, that line wasn't going anywhere. They would just wait. Right. And so what I started to realize is like, I'm not actually helping anyone by doing this. Right. And so I use this analogy it probably isn't the best one. Um, and so, <laughs> but you go to a national park or you go to a, a wildlife exhibit, whatever it may be, they tell you don't feed the animals, right? And I'm not comparing our sales agents to animals. I just want to put it out there because I've said this a million times. 
well, they say, don't feed the animals. I'm like, oh, why, why not? Like, they're hungry. Like, they look hungry. I got this food. Why not? Why just give it to them, right? I have this knowledge. Why don't I share it with them? Well, if you, if you continue to feed them and visitors are coming to feed the animals, feeding the animals, they're going to become reliant on those visitors to eat. And therefore, they're going to forget how to hunt. Their muscles are going to get weak and they're just going to totally forget how to fend for themselves. And so I don't know how I, I'm a big Nat Geo guy. So I love watching Nat Geo. So I probably watched them. I was like, oh my God, this is it. And so I remember going back and saying, hey, every time I'm just answering these questions, answering the questions, because I find that I was answering the same questions over and over and over again. Right. And so I'm not helping them develop. I'm not helping them strengthen those muscles. And so by giving them every single answer, it was just delaying their development and therefore develop development of my team and the, the leveling up of my team. And so I started, which is hard for me because I'm a people pleaser. I want to, you know, I want to help people out. I started saying, hey. Have you gone and tried to figure that out? Have you gone and looked at the resources, looked at the wiki, looked at the FAQ? Oh, no. All right. Well, go back, check it out. If you still can't find it, I'm still a resource. I'll be here for you. That's my job, right? I don't want to leave you hanging. But I started challenging people to go figure it out. And slowly but surely, that line started getting less and less and less. And I don't know if it was out of you know people being scared because I was just saying, hey, I, nope, I, not, nope, not today. Uh, but they started, you know, learning and developing and realizing like, okay, I can go be resourceful. I can go figure this stuff out on my own and not be reliant. And so that desk, that line at my desk was, was gone. And I'd come back from an interview. There'd be no one there. There'd be no one question, which was a, a weird transition for me because I was like, oh man, am I not like valuable anymore? Like what did I, you know, so going to figure out other things to do because my day wasn't taken up by all these people asking me questions all day. So that was, that was a big turning point for me when focusing and, and working on developing my team is being okay with pushing them away and saying, Hey, go figure it out. Right. And, and so it doesn't work as well today. You know, it's not, it, it would, that was well suited for a smaller company. We have a really robust uh, FAQ and LMS system that with that we have and, and a wiki that our training team does an amazing job of, of maintaining and building. So, um, you know, people aren't Googling or finding you know, things on other sources, but, uh, but that was probably the biggest turning point for me when, when it comes to developing my team. And the same thing I think about today when maintaining and leveling up my team is challenging them to go and figure it out themselves and relying on me as a, as a resource still. Though. I love it. I love it. And by the way, like that challenge that you had as an early sales leader, that is, that was, I had this exact same problem. Yeah. Like I know how to do it. So I'll just tell you how to do it, right? Exactly. And you kind you kind of go from this perspective of like, let me just do it for you, versus like, let me coach you so you can figure out how to do it, right? Yeah, yep, um, exactly. And and that's when you're you're kind of in your rhythm as a leader is when you're coaching people. Yep. Um, and that becomes a much bigger part of your job, which is actually more fun than just telling people. Yeah, it's um, so much more rewarding for sure. What what with, with coaching now? Like, what are the skills that you find yourself working with your reps to like like really work on developing um now that you've moved away from just telling them what to do yeah yeah so so we've we have a huge emphasis this year and as we build out you know and scale we become more and more of a a real legitimate business as we always say we're kind of getting out of that startup mode and one of the big departments that we've built out this year and over the past probably 18 months has been a qa department and so I would say 95% of our sales are done over the phone. And, you know, it is a very he heavily regulated industry. And so we need to make sure that we're, you know, 
saying things the right way, the exact right way. We're making sure that the 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 customers are, are aware of exactly what they need. But some of the things that we've been focusing on as of late, and we run into a lot with newer sales agents, people who are newer in their in their sales career, is in operating in Florida and selling insurance in Florida. There's some massive premiums down there, um, and especially when you are, let's say, you're a homeowner in in Illinois, you got a you know two thousand square foot house, you're going to pay twelve hundred bucks a year, so it's like a hundred bucks a month. Okay, so that's how you understand insurance. Well, when you go down and you start selling in Florida, that same exact house would be twelve thousand dollars. And so what we've been running into is that sticker shock and 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 reps kind of shopping with their own wallet as opposed to you know putting that aside, you know offering the price and assuming the sale. And so instead of saying, oh, you know, Jr., it's uh, it's actually twelve twelve thousand dollars. And the customers will be like, oh, it didn't sound great. It's probably not a good deal. I could probably get a deal better somewhere else, right? Just the way that, or they'll say, hey, you know what? Uh, I have this quote here for you. Let me just shoot it over to you. You check it out and let me know. Anything to avoid saying, hey, it's uh, $12,000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, getting them comfortable with, you know, hey, JR, it's going to be $12,000. Uh, we can break that up into four payments, or do you want to do it all at once? You know, we take credit card, we take debit card, and we could also charge it to your mortgage company. How would you like to proceed? Right, assuming it, moving forward, let's go, let's go. Type of type of you know offering. I mean, we just sold a policy, and this is insane that people pay this for just an, an absolute nothing, really. Uh, Seventy thousand dollars for an insurance policy, just boom, seventy grand. And the house was like wow, thirty five hundred square feet. Now, granted, it was like right on the wall, it's a beautiful house. But so you're paying seventy grand for something that you might never use. Which is I don't crazy. know. That's an aside. But there's some you know I, I think that sticker shock, and that applies anywhere, right? If you're selling you know, a product that's going to cost someone half a million bucks or whatever it is, that's not you paying it. So you can't assume that that's expensive. And so, you know, assuming the sale, assuming that the, that what you're offering them is the best and carrying yourself like that and vocalizing it in a way like that goes a long way. And it's, it's, it's tough to get people over that because it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you're younger and like, Seventy thousand dollars might as well be a million dollars. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You spend my my yearly salary on a, on an insurance policy. <laughs> it's so funny. I I used to do this thing, and I never realized I did it. And it, it it I think it goes back to like I tripped and fell into sales, but I probably was I was supposed to be in sales. Like I feel like it was my destiny because I used to say the word only before a nice. price. Yeah, yeah. And I never noticed it. And my boss pointed it out to me. He's like, you know, you said that, that the uh, store, we sold big storage arrays that were like 400 to $4 million. Yeah. He's like, you know, you, in the meeting, you said it's only $450,000. JR. Yeah. He's like, you made 28 grand. Like, how did, why did you say only? And I'm like, I didn't even notice that I said it. So right. that might be a little trick for your, it for is. your folks. It's those, <laughs> it's those little, little tiny things. I, the, my, my favorite trick that I learned, and this was way early on, uh, I was doing cold calling was I was just getting hung up on every single time, hung up, hung up. We were calling businesses doing like health insurance stuff. And this one guy told me, he was like, Hey, next time you get on the phone with someone, just be like, you know, Hey, uh, JR, this is Tyler from blah, blah, blah. We spoke a couple months back. You told me to give you a call now. Is now a good time? And the way that these would just, they'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. I got the time now, right? It's just you assume and they don't know. They don't know any data. They yeah. talked to a million different people. And so, be like, yeah, oh, yeah, hey, we talked a couple months ago. Is now still a good time? Uh, yeah, sure. I guess so. And so just yeah. get your foot in the door that way. So I love those little those little tricks. Only is a good one, though. I might have to take that down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, and a lot of these things come from like, I, like, I don't know about you, but I had like mentors, like pe people that were, 
even though they were like really only five or 10 years ahead of me, but they were people that really kind of took me under their wing and, and had a meaningful impact. And mentorship is a huge part of our business. It's really like, that's what our business is. It's yeah. mentorship as a service. Um, when you look back, like, did you, did you have mentors that had a meaningful impact on your career? And, and we'd love if you can highlight one and what they, what you learned from them. That would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So many. And I think they, they might've known it. They might not have known it, but just me being able to observe and especially those early days, like I had mentioned earlier, what working next to, you know, uh, Lucas Ward, Sean Harper, and just seeing them work, seeing how they raised money, how hard they worked, sleeping in the office, doing things like that, seeing how it was done. Uh, but I think the, the the most intentional mentor that I had was our old COO, um, Jamie Ahern, um, who's gone off and, and started his own company as a CEO now. Uh, he, he gave me so much advice, but the one piece of advice that really stuck with me that I always tell people as they're trying to progress and kind of set themselves apart is he said, and I think he got this from one of his professors, he went to Northwestern, they said, uh, the way that you win, right? The way that you win in business or, or if you want to kind of set yourself apart is if you bring me a problem, all right, that's one point. That's great. Thanks. Thanks for bringing the problem. I'll, I'll talk to you later. If you bring me a problem and a solution, that's how you win, right? That's how you win the game right there. And I, it's really, really struck, stuck with me through the years is I see a lot of problems. I identify a lot of problems. Um, and instead of saying, oh, this is a problem. I'm going to go tell my boss, hey, this is a problem. Boom, done. I will say, okay, this is the problem. What are our options for fixing this problem, right? Even if it's, you know, hey, this is about, this is going to work. Or like, this is an idea I have. This could work. Packaging those two together are, that's the way you win, right? And so that's what I tell my team. That's what I tell anyone who wants to know, like, hey, what are the foundational things I need to focus on in business in order to level myself up? Uh, and, and I think that's really, that's really, really stuck, stuck with me. And that was from Jamie Ahern, who, again, he, I mean, he's like a year two years older than me, but I really look up to him as a, as a mentor. I love it. That's so good. Um, all right, dude, we got, we always ask these two final questions to every guest. Um, first one, if we asked you to highlight one of your skills that makes you elite, what do you think, what do you think that is? So, you know, I, I alluded to it a little bit earlier, but I, you know, I would, school is never my favorite thing in the world, right? I, I'm, I'm, I don't have an Ivy League education. I was always focused on, you know, when's the next game, when's practice, things like that, yeah. right? And yeah. so if I could all do it back, I'd be in AP classes. I would really, really focus in high school and college and all those things. I did. So I think what makes me elite now is my ability to be resourceful. Uh, I, it's silly and I say it all the time, but underutilizing and not utilizing at all, Google, it's so easy and you could teach yourself any, and I, like not even an exaggeration, you could teach yourself anything uh, for free. And so, so when people say, I don't know, I, I don't know how to do it, or I don't know, it's like, you just, you're not really, you're not trying because there's been so many times you had mentioned it earlier, looking up, you know, what this word means in the middle of a meeting where someone will use an acronym or someone will talk about this and they'll go, Hey, you know what I'm talking about? And I'll be like, Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. And then two minutes later, I'm on Google trying to learn about it so I can actually speak on it. Like I know what the hell I'm talking about, but, totally. but I think m me being resourceful and Hey, here's the task never done it before. I have no idea what to do. I even know what it means. I'm going to go and figure it out, right? I'm going to go either rely on other people in the company to pick their brains and get their ideas. I'm going to go on Google. I'm going to, you know, read articles. I'm going to watch videos. I'm going to practice and I'm going to figure it out, right? It, it might not happen overnight, but I promise that I'll, I'll figure out a way to get it done and, and be a subject matter expert on it eventually. 
So good. I don't think anybody's ever said resourcefulness, but it is, it is like, yeah, exactly right. Yeah. 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 You can really, really run into any challenge. If you're resourceful, you get around that challenge, right? Right. Problem and solution right there. Exactly. Um, All right. Last one, dude. What does, so my dad was a hockey coach and he used to tell us when we were little, a lot of people play hockey, JR, but there isn't a lot of hockey players. And, Mm -hmm. And the idea was like, being a pro, right? Like making it, building it into your DNA. And I, and I think honestly, the sales profession is like that, right? And we think the highest praise you can give a salesperson is calling them a pro. What does being a pro in sales mean to you? So I think it's, it's longevity and consistency, right? And I think the way that you achieve that is through like emotionally stable, if you will. And I know people are like, oh, you just can't be crazy. No. And, I, and it doesn't mean you can't get excited and you can't get bummed out. That's not that's not it at all. But when I think of emotional stability or I think, you know, removing emotion from your process, I think of the people who are up and down, up and down, up and down, right? They're fired up. They're jacked up. They just got the sale. But then the next day they get rejected and they're all down again, right? That's not sustainable, right? And you hear the term burnout. I think that leads to more burnout than anything. Right. It's, it's those ups and downs and ups and downs. And I think what makes a pro is someone who's just even keeled. Right. And I mean, whether you're playing football or hockey or whatever it is, those guys who are just deadpan face, number one, they're psycho. Number one, number two, they're also probably really good, you know, because they don't get too high. They don't get too low. It's just like you never really know what he's thinking. And I think, you know, someone who lands a huge deal, not that you can't get fired up. And that's not what I'm saying. But I think if you're, if you're riding a, an emotional roller coaster, yeah, you might have awesome quarters, you might kill it, but then the next quarter you're down and it's just, you can't sustain that over a long period of time. You can have little flashes of like, hey man, that guy's really good, that guy's a pro. But then you see the next quarter, it's like, oh, that was the same guy from last quarter. Like, that doesn't, that doesn't happen, right? Or you get off the phone, you just get rejected. I don't, I don't know if he just won the lotto or, or you know, his girlfriend broke up with him. He's just the same all the time. So I think when I think of a pro, that's kind of what, what pops up into my mind. It's just an evil, even keel, level-headed guy. I love it. I love it. And it's so true. Like literally when you said that, nobody said that answer before, but when I look back at like the best of the best that I've worked with, they're like this, yeah. deal lost, deal one, like they're there to do their job. They're yeah. going to execute. They're going to control the controllables. If something happens that they're, that's out of their control and it affects a, a deal, it's like, you know, let's, all right, next one. Like, Move let's on go. One. Right. hundred yeah. percent. Tyler. Unreal conversation, man. Thank you so much. I, 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 there's so many good nuggets in here. Um, we like to like pick a nugget for the, uh, for the, for the title. And I, I think, I think we're going to land on resourcefulness, but we'll let, we'll let Austin choose that. I thank you so much for giving us your time, buddy. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, I really appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you. This wraps up this episode of Merchants of Change. If you enjoyed this episode, the most meaningful way to say thanks is to submit a review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're interested in working with us, please come find us at www.shiftgroup.io.